From the San Joaquin Valley Sun Newsroom in downtown Fresno, this is Sunrise FM. I'm Daniel Gligich, senior reporter for the San Joaquin Valley Sun. Today, as we relaunch Sunrise FM, I'm excited to welcome Congressman John Duarte to the show. John Duarte is a farmer and nursery owner best known in the San Joaquin Valley agricultural community for the Modesto-based Duarte Nursery, a critical supplier to growers across the region. Last year, Congressman Duarte launched a campaign for the newly drawn 13th Congressional District, spanning Stanislaus, Merced, Madera, and Fresno counties. In one of the critical races for deciding the Republican majority in the House, Duarte was elected in one of the closest House contests in the nation last year by a margin of 564 votes. With a few weeks under his belt, we are honored to welcome him to Sunrise FM. This last month, uh, around the new year, we had some crazy storms rolling through here. We had some serious flooding and landslides and, and mudslides going on, especially up in your district. Um, of course, it's happening right as you're taking office. So can you just take us through what's going on with the flooding and um, you know what you're able to do on your end to, to help the people up there address it? Yeah, just my first day back in the district, um, I knew there'd been a lot of rains and flooding and I was hoping everybody was safe, but there, there were some deaths and um, it's pretty disastrous throughout the district. Uh, Merced County was probably hit the hardest and that's where we've seen the most, uh, the most needs for help. The very first day I got back, uh, Monday morning, I got a call from Sheriff Vern Wernicke there in Merced. He said, oh, Congressman, we need a Chinook helicopter down here to drop sandbags, heavy lift some sandbags uh, into a levee break that we think we can get repaired before the next rains hit, before the storms flood, flood out the town of McSwain again. And so I didn't know that every new congressman was a Chinook resource, but we, we worked <laughs> on it. And uh, within, by the end of the day, we actually had an Army Guard, I mean, Army National Guard Chinook helicopter um, down there dropping sandbags on the levee and they worked, worked through the night the next day and they got that levee, levee hole repaired. So it didn't flood out this, the elementary school in McSwain and some of the houses there. Um, again, so that was a great deal. That was out at Joe Sonny's farm. And he gave a really good, really good description of what's happening there with the levees and the drainages. And then up in Planada, the next day we were touring there and the levees, levees up there broke and um, on the creeks. And I believe that was Bear Creek. And it was very frustrating. Uh, the more I learned about it, uh, the more frustrated I became. The Army Corps of Engineers has a responsibility, very core responsibility, to keep these drainages and levees and channels in good, good repair so that they, they provide flood control during torrential rains like we've had. Well, the levee that broke up in Planada flooded the school, flooded out many, many working families' homes. Drywalls <laughs> gotta be stripped out of these homes. Carpets gotta be rolled up and thrown away. Um, tens of thousands of dollars of repairs in each of these homes. Then we also have just the, uh, the problem that these families are throwing away their furniture. There's dumpsters out in front, the, the kids' beds, the couches, the clothing. All of this water-damaged um, property is being discarded. And so I was supposed to have a meeting with the Biden uh, White House representative today to talk about, hey, the, the customary FEMA relief may not be adequate for these families. They, they've lost everything. Um, they need cash in hand right now to replace all the essentials of life. 
and and we can't expect them to just put it on the credit card and wait and hope because a lot of these families don't have that kind of credit or resources. And so we've got FEMA relief in Planada. We're very thankful for that. They've got a mobile disaster recovery center right there. Um, we pushed hard to make sure that it was put right in Planada, not, not just Castle Air Force Base or out at the Merced County Fairgrounds, but accessible to the families who, uh, who need that relief right there in Planada. That levee break here in 2023 flooded the same elementary school that a similar levee break flooded in 2018. Now, Planada isn't down in the bottom of the valley. It's not an area that's always going to flood when we have torrential, torrential rains. It's, it's up on the bench a bit. And the only reason it's flooding is because these drainages are not being kept in good repair. The Army Corps of Engineers is not doing their job. Uh, I'm sure Fish and Wildlife Services has too much to say about everything. But at the end of the day, it's the Army Corps of Engineers' jobs to keep these levees in good repair and to make sure that this repeated flooding doesn't happen to these communities. And so we're gonna be talking about that. I'm on, I've been assigned to the Transportation Infrastructure Committee and, and this will be a key point that we'll wanna talk about. Um, we've got to get some of this um, over the top, they call it environmentalism, but it's really just obstructionism out of the way so we can, we can protect our communities. And, um, and this is just a glaring example of out of control, command and control agencies are really hurting working families. And, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be stepping into that. And you're, today, you're expecting to meet with the Biden administration today about this then? I, I was, we, it was canceled because of our voting schedule on the floor, went a little bit late, but um, I'll, I'll be wanting to track them down. And I'm really thankful that the president came out to Watsonville to look at some of the coastal storm damage. And, and I drove out there and we, I met with the president there and was able to say to President Biden, please don't forget Merced. Thank you for being here. Make sure your FEMA, FEMA resources are put towards Merced. The working families out there need relief now. And, um, and the FEMA relief effort has been um, as good as can be expected for families. I mean, when your house is flooded out, you know, without emergency warning, one morning, you are hungry and sometimes without resources by the afternoon. And, um, and so you can never be quick enough with FEMA re resources, but there's, there's just realities to mobilizing. And I'm thankful that FEMA has been out there engaged in doing what they can. There's some great community relief efforts out there too. World Kitchen was, was out there doing um, dinners that night um, with, with the setup, um, chicken curry. It smelled really good. I helped, helped hand some out. Um, I walked a lot of the houses, the stores, the businesses that had been flooded. Saw a lot of the community pulling together, a lot of the, a lot of the neighbors helping neighbors out there. And um, that was really good to see because that, that's where the most immediate relief can come from. Mm -hmm. But then the, it, doesn't, it doesn't really phase the frustration of seeing repeated levy breaks where there just doesn't need to be that. Of course, of course. And moving down into Madera, it's clearly a, such a dire situation with Madera Community Hospital closing down, going bankrupt and all the financial struggles they've had. Um, just what do you know about what's going on with the healthcare situation down in Madera? And is there you know, anything that you could do on your end to maybe find a solution well, there? We're working on that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm getting my head around what the structural problems on that are. The, the acute problem is that COVID put just a ton of resource demands on Madera Community Hospital. 
Um, the Madera Community Hospital serves a lot of um, a lot of Medicaid, Medicare uh, service clientele that doesn't carry the uh, the Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, insurance that has the higher reimbursement rates for them. Uh, they don't have a lot of power being a small independent community hospital. They didn't have a lot of power transparency in negotiating the reimbursement rates for some of the public health care options. And um, because of the area, they needed more support from the government than they were getting. They needed better reimbursement rates than what they were getting. And then during COVID, a lot of the nurses retired. A lot of the nurses were reluctant to stay on the front lines. Um, and deal with the pressures of the whole COVID relief and, and treatment of patients there. And so they brought in a lot of travel nurses. And what I'm coming to understand is that a, a local nurse can cost you 60 bucks an hour to keep on the floor fully loaded. Well, these travel nurses can cost you 250 bucks an hour to keep on the floor. And a lot of the local nurses look at the travel nursing uh, opportunity. And you know, as you'd have any family member of your own do, hey, why don't I become a travel nurse? And, um, you know, it's a, it's a paying increase for the, for the nurse, but it's an unbudgeted financial expense for the hospital. And then if you, we look at some of the analysis that's been done on the COVID relief monies that was put out to hospitals through some of the COVID relief act efforts, mm -hmm. the relief was based on revenues. Well, the bigger hospitals with, you know, higher price services, bigger surgery centers, um, they got bigger relief packages than the smaller hospitals. The smaller hospitals had more COVID pressure. The demographics that that smaller hospital served were, were more severely affected. The uninsured and underinsured that came in needed services, whether or not they had um, standing insurance. And so the effects of the need for COVID relief dollars in hospitals wasn't matched well to the um, individual hospitals. And so we saw we saw a lot of rural hospitals, small rural hospitals under strain. And I really hope to get Madera Hospital recapitalized and put back together and operating again before some of its uh, facilities become obsolete and, the, and the, the permitting expires, the grandfathering of the permitting um, expires. It's a huge risk. I'm, uh, I'm nervous, concerned that if we don't get Madera Hospital back online, its patients are gonna place needs on other hospitals in neighboring communities. And we could have a domino effect. We know that the structural challenges Madera faced are faced in other, other areas around them, Merced, Fresno. And um, so it's a, it's a regional problem. It's a problem throughout my district. We need to get the Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates up higher than what they are now. We need to get the nursing um, schools in the Valley to produce more nurses to meet our needs locally. Um, and so, and, and we need to get some resources from Health and Human Services. I joined Jim Costa, Congressman Jim Costa on a letter to our Attorney General Rob Bonta and the um, Federal Department of Health and Human Services asking for emergency relief to get Madera Hospital back online before the problem gets bigger. And with the hospital, we not only lost the hospital, we lost four local health clinics with it that provide provided um, more immediate neighborhood services to, to, the, to the population down there. So Madera is um, grossly underserved currently, and we've got to get that hospital back online. Um, and everyone in the community is working towards it. 
I don't, um, I don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And then, and then just looking at your, um, you know, your near future here, you just got elected into office. You're, and specifically those committee assignments, the Ag Committee, Transportation Committee. Um, just can you take us through what goes through um, getting named to those committees, and especially the Ag Committee, given that you're from the Valley, you're a farmer, just um, seems to be such a natural fit there. Sure, and I'm very excited about my committee assignments. Um, so yeah, let's start with agriculture. On the Agriculture Committee, um, this is where the Farm Bill, and this is a Farm Bill year. So it's not only the Ag Committee, it's highly relevant to my district, to my my constituents, but it's very, very important year for the Ag Committee because we're we'll be initiating a farm bill, which happens every about every five years. Um, and so we'll be able to talk about how, how crop insurance is is, is um, put together. We'll be, talk, be able to talk about disaster relief. Uh, one of the important things with, farm, with the farm bill right now is keeping American food producers um, producing abundant food for Americans and for the world. We're losing that. If we look at the walnut growers up and down the valley right now, they are stuck with a glut of walnuts that was um, storm damaged, heat damaged. Um, they've got a glut of, of low quality product that needs to find a, another market. We're looking at animal feed. We're looking at um, we're looking at biofuels. We're looking at something to do with about 300 million pounds of substandard walnut product that simply needs to come out of the supply chain. These California walnut growers have built a fantastic reputation on the high end of the, the walnut business with their with their quality. And we need to make sure that they're only shipping quality going forward. And that means we've got a glut of, um, of you know, off-grade material that simply needs not to go to human consumption. And, and we're working on that right now. The, um, another aspect of the farm bill that's very important is the EQIP grants. And we wanna make sure that we can use the EQIP grant, Environmental Quality Incentives Program, to fund some of the water recharge projects that we want to see on, on more of an area-wide basis, um, as well as on the farm. We want to see that we can fund um, holding ponds. And when we have floods like this, can we either get that water in the ground or we can get it into reservoirs, small or large, uh, and hold it for use during the summer. And so those are, those are some things that we want to see inside the farm bill. If you move over to transportation and infrastructure, um, this is also a very important committee for, for my district, and I'm, I'm on that committee. Um, it oversees the Army Corps of Engineers, so we'll be, you know, there'll be a very good place from which to have discussions about flood control and making sure that our flood control assets are kept in, in good, operable condition so that when, when these kinds of rains happen, we can not only protect our communities from the devastation that we've seen, but we can capture this water and use it productively towards groundwater recharge, um, getting it pumped out through the delta so we can store it, um, holding it behind the dam as much as possible so that we can uh, release it when we can actually take advantage of the water and not have it just flush by us before we can really make the best use of it. Um, TNI also looks at uh, transportation infrastructure. You know, we need more lanes on Highway 99. We mean, need more lanes on Highway 5. Um, California doesn't want to add lanes in the valley for transportation. We are a logistics hub. We have people that live in the valley that may have to drive a distance to find their best job opportunities. So I will be fighting for better logistics resources inside the valley, more lanes, better highways, better freeways, and shutting down the bullet train. 
Um, there is nobody I've met out here, Democrat or Republican, who will make a sound, sincere, passionate argument for the bullet train. And uh, this is, these are our Valley districts. We deserve to have a say in how these transportation dollars are spent and they need to be spent on assets we need, not assets that serve somebody's fantasy from a decade and a half ago, who was just flat wrong then and has more evidence that they're wrong about the need of a bullet train now. So we're gonna be, we're gonna be pushing back on that quite firmly from the Transportation Infrastructure Committee. Um, it really is more of a, Calibor a California issue, but it's not going to get federal resources if I have anything to say about it, and I think I will. Mm -hmm. And then just real quick, because I know you're pressed for time. Um, we've got a you know the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy being a guy from Bakersfield here. Very interesting to have someone local in such a leadership position. Can you just share what you your relationship about Kevin with Kevin and what you expect um, you know the impact to have a local person in that type of position to be? Well, I, th I think Kevin's going to be good for America. I think if you look at his leadership, if you look at the spirit within the caucus right now, you know, yes, his leadership battle was was a, a tenuous one for a few days there. But since that's been resolved, we have great camaraderie amongst the Republicans. There'll be issues that we're on different sides of here and there. But look what he did with the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Look what he did with national energy policy today. Um, we're holding together great. We're putting forth a policy agenda that is good for America. And it's a policy agenda that's going to be good for the Central Valley also. And having Kevin as a speaker from the Central Valley um, is going to be good for um, good for the Valley. I've got a great relationship with him and um, we're gonna get a lot done. Thank you, Congressman John Duarte for joining us today for our relaunch of Sunrise FM. And thank you to our readers and listeners too. Be sure to subscribe to Sunrise FM wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe to The Sun's daily newsletter, Sunrise AM, by visiting sjvsun.com slash sign up. For the San Joaquin Valley Sun, I'm Daniel Gligich. We'll see you next time.